Welcome golf addicts everywhere. Thanks for downloading this week's episode. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at tour underscore junkies. Also look us up on the web tourjunkies.net to learn a little bit more about Pat and I. And uh, you know, it's just another opportunity for you to look at the podcast and check it out. So we appreciate your download this week. Uh, we get into a little GPP lineup construction this week. If you haven't listened to the previous podcast, we break down the differences between a GPP and a cash game on DraftKings. That's a good one to listen to. Check that out first before this one. And then after this, we're going to follow with a little cash lineup construction just to tell you how we approach that a little differently. In this week's episode, we also talk about my visit to East Lake and the FedEx Cup finale, as well as Dustin Johnson. Uh, hitting me in the ankle that's pretty cool so you have to listen closely for that story and we cannot wait for the fries.com open in napa california is fast approaching and the new season will be up and running and we can't wait to start breaking down the players on DraftKings and the prices as well to mine that value to make sure our screens are green what is up golf addicts David Barnett here with Tour Junkies. We got Pat on the line again. We are ready to, you know, talk a little lineup construction. We're going to talk some str- some more strategy. It's kind of session two of our DFS golf strategy here, as we're kind of in the lull. Uh, Pat, are you ready to enlighten us all and how you know on how your screens are green week in and week out, buddy? I am. You know, it's just th- that downtime between the Tour Championship just ended last week. We got a couple weeks until we get started back again for the season, and uh, so it's a perfect time to just talk about how how we look at lineups, how we construct our lineups, whether it's a GPP play or a cash game. And uh, again, just very excited. I tell you what, I'm a little depressed lately, David. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been pretty bad at uh, you know in this in this downtime for uh, between. PGA kind of winding down the season. You know, now we're in the midst of, you know, right in the middle of NFL. And uh, my, my lineups have not been very good in, on the NFL side. So I've been uh, a little disappointed. But uh, the golf talk, maybe the golf talk will get me motivated again to, to see what I can do. Yeah, I mean, I wish, you know, I wish I had some great advice for you on the NFL thing, but, you know, I've been in that boat right there with you. I've just had these killer lineups that I thought were unbeatable. And, uh, you know, it, it just, not, it's not happening for me either. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a, you're talking to the wrong podcast show host for that, buddy. I, I just can't help you. Um, well, well, maybe step one would be to not be, not be such a, a Georgia Bulldog homer and, uh, put, True. put Doug early in, in, in a lot of your lineups the first week he comes back off of an ACL injury. True. That, that, that might be a good, um, a good practice. Um, you know, give a little wait and see on Gurley and see how the Rams use him. You know, so we won't yeah. worry about well, him hey, though. Let's, uh, Let's, uh, you know, not to take over here, but let's, let's wrap up the season. You know, we, we're, we're done now. The tour championship ended last week. You were down there in Atlanta. Tell us about what you saw on the course and, uh, you know, what you, what you think about, uh, your thoughts on the speed wrapping up a, a tour championship title. It's kind of a fitting in here, but uh, totally. what, what, what's the inside, the inside track on, on being there in Atlanta? Man, the inside track is, um, you know, 
number one tip, if you see a, a girl in, a, in an M1 tailor-made hat, then she is a player's wife and or girlfriend. So um, that's, that's tip number one. Um, we saw a few of those. We saw a little Brooks Kepka, you know, my man crush Brooks. Uh, so actually, you know, my, my two man crushes for the 20, 2015 season, uh, you know, started out with, with, with my boy Burger Time, Daniel Burger. And then it really transitioned into Brooks. Um, and they were playing in back to back groups. So we got to see a lot of them. Uh, Brooks was playing right ahead of, of Burger. So we saw a good bit of them and saw those guys around it. Uh, enjoyed getting getting up close and personal, being from Augusta and going to the Masters. Uh, you know, growing up, you're used to six people deep and, and not really being able to get on the ropes and see somebody. But the particular day that I went, it was rainy, it was nasty, it was muddy. It was a terrible day for golf. Uh, but, you know, we had a good time. We, we got to see some good, some good golfers. We uh, we saw Ed Reed. That was pretty cool. I, I said, what's up to Ed Reed as he walked out of the porta potty That was pretty sweet. By the way, you know, Ed Reed just retired last year as the safety for the Baltimore Ravens. However, he looks a hundred. Like that dude looks really freaking old. He looks like, like Willie McGee back in the day for the Cardinals or something like Otis Nixon. He, he looks so old. <laughs> um, but anyway, he, we saw him and, and, uh, we, we had a good time. You know, I didn't watch a lot of speech that day but you know i did have something kind of interesting happen to me um i was standing on number 10 i was in the fairway i was i was on off the right side of the fairway on number 10 at east lake which is a par five and we were following bubba and dj were playing together that day and i I actually hate to admit it but i was not paying attention i was actually on my phone i was showing yeah i know i was one of those guys but you know i mean the weather was terrible, you know, it was it was brutal conditions, you know, whatever. Um, so I was showing my buddy something on my phone, and I was under an umbrella as well, trying not to get soaking wet. And all of a sudden, I feel this this ball hit my ankle on the fly, okay? Like, not, not a little one-hop, two-hop, but on the fly, it hits me in, like, on the Nike check on my shoes and kicks 10 feet to the left kind of nestles down in the rough and everybody around me, you know, is kind of laughing and, and, you know, everybody, and I didn't really realize what happened at first. I kind of just was shocked that I got hit and I, and I just was like looking at the ball and looking at my foot and, and then all these people around me were like, dude, milk it, milk it, milk it. And I was like, oh yeah. So I like go down on a knee, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, my ankle. You know, like really try, really try to make this thing, you know, play it up. And I'm, I'm staying down on one knee for like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. I'm holding my ankle. You know, the, 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 the marshal inside the ropes is laughing at me. There's some, there's some people around me like, oh yeah, man, milk it, milk it. He's looking, he's looking, you know, and, and I'm like, oh. And so then I stand up and everybody's like, roll your ankle around. I mean, I had the, the, the best, the best patrons around me I could have possibly had. Everybody was like, giving me advice on how to get, you know, uh, this player to acknowledge that he hit me on the fly. It was a DJ, uh, hit me on the fly with his drive. And so I'm like, you know, working my ankle around and I'm like right on the rope, you know, even with his ball nestled down in the rough and waiting on him to walk up, you know, and, and hit his next shot. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, this is, this is dream scenario right here. You know, like I'm the lucky guy who got hit in the ankle and, 
DJ's going to walk over here and check on me. Surely he saw, you know, me go down. Surely he saw his ball on a line going towards the woods, you know, and then all of a sudden miraculously kick left off my neon Nikes. Um, you know, and he's going to say something and maybe offer me a glove or, you know, something. So I was kind of, I was kind of fanboying it a little bit, you know, I was kind of excited about this. But at the same time, you know, I'm a consummate professional. I'm not going to be a, you know, I'm not going to open my mouth when I shouldn't. The dude just straight up walks up and looks over a shot, walks up and, and hits it. Doesn't say a thing. Like, never says, you know, hey, man, you know, did I hit anybody or is everybody okay? Or, hey, dude, I saw you on the ground, you know, seconds after my ball hit you in the foot. You all right? Like, nothing. Maybe he didn't see it. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he saw it or not. But I have a hard time believing he didn't. So, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of bummed that the DJ didn't, uh, didn't check on me, you know? So it was kind of interesting. It was funny and everybody around me was laughing. It was a good time. It would have been a great story, but instead it ends really poorly. You know, I didn't get a Rolex or a glove or anything like that. You know, I didn't, I, I was, I just, maybe, maybe you should have hollered at him and told him that, hey, you hit me, dude. I know. I thought about it, man. But, you know, I just, I have this thing, man. I, I just I have a hard time um, internally breaking the the concentration of these guys or breaking the you know the, the the level of professionalism or respect for the you know for the tournament play when really I was okay. You know, I mean, if I was hurt, that would be one thing. You know, um, but but it you know it didn't hurt at all. I did save his ball from being in the crap, but. So, you know, it's a little disappointing. I just couldn't, and I just couldn't bring myself to do that. The guy's playing for 10 million bucks, you know, but I was like, eh. If he well, says something great, but if he doesn't, oh well. But I was kind of bummed about it. I tweeted him though, and I did have an illegal video of him walking up, you know, playing his ball right in front of me just to kind of give some level of proof, but he never tweeted me back either, huh? you know. I mean, no surprise there, but. What, what did you say in your, uh, in your tweet? I just kind of said, number 10, Eastlake, um, off on the fairway, DJ hit me in the ankle on the fly, kept his ball from being worse off, and then I said, kind of shocked he didn't ask me about it. That's all I did. That's all I said. I didn't say, like, hey, you a-hole, you know. Yeah, I didn't say any of that. But, um, but you know, I, I kind of mentioned it. You know, he didn't respond. So, we'll yeah. It is what well, it is. But I can I, say I, I've been hit in the. I, I can say I've been hit on the fly with the drive off of Dustin Johnson. Not, not many people say that. Hey, you know. I mean, and I and I live to tell about it. We can only wish we could get a hit on a golf course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, the, the, the only inter- the only interest I was not there obviously, but um, I did hear a little side item from uh, old Kevin Kisner about the course and and as. As a lot of us know, he did not have a very good week. No, he fact, didn't. I think he finished dead last, and he actually, he did. He did not like the course. Um, you could probably um, have made that conclusion from seeing his scores, but uh, but you know, maybe he could have just said, "Well, I didn't. Uh, I just didn't play well that week," or given the old line that you know, whatever something. You know, he was distracted, whatever. But he did he did not like the course. That was the truth. And uh, he did not like the setup. Apparently, uh, with the rain and everything else, he thought some of the holes were uh, set up incredibly hard. And uh, which to be, uh, kinda, 
came across a little bit like you were there, so maybe you know. But I would I agree. Think, I think there were some holes that were very long par fours that were um, 500 yards plus that just yep. seemed almost impossible. And so um, I, I was interested to hear that. Um, so well, maybe they'll the- look, look at some changes for next year. But it didn't seem like there was a handful of guys that were – that were, could play the course, but other than that, everybody else was out of it. And I, I don't really, to be honest, I didn't really like seeing that. I agree. Like a lot of people were out of it really early, and and I, I do agree with kids. I, I think like the day I was there, it never stopped raining, never. Now you know the, the wind wasn't terrible, but if you know everybody who's ever played golf, it's not fun to play in the rain, and it does yeah. change. Even if even if you're not hitting into the wind, it definitely changes how you swing. And it and it, it's tough. I mean, it was tough condition. So the day I was there, which was Saturday, um, you know, most you know most of the guys were already out. I mean, Kisner was well out of it. He was the first group off, um, and and they they were tough. I mean, eighteen, you know, eighteen is a par three up the hill over water. Um, you know, a, a front front left greenside bunker. The flag was tucked right behind that bunker on the left corner and the distance was 235 in, in the rain you know i mean like most and we watched about half of the groups so we watched about half the groups hit off off 18 and i would say out of those half um maybe ha- maybe so out of 15 guys maybe eight or nine chose to hit um irons and we saw one player with an iron get there, and that was Day because he kind of he kind of blocked it right a little bit, and it was pin, but it was pin high. I mean, he got it there. It was pin high on the right hand side. Everyone else was in that trap, like well short of the hole. And then and then everyone else we saw hit the green were either hitting hybrids or three woods. Ricky Fowler hit a three wood to like 15 feet, a three wood off of a par three, <laughs> you know, in the rain. And I and I even made mention we were we hadn't even finished the front nine walking the front nine that day, and I told a couple buddies I was like, man, these pin positions are brutal. So like, not only are you fighting, um, you know, the elements, but the the pin placements were pretty tough. There was a 600 yard par five. There was like a 520 yard par four. I mean, I I totally get it for a player like Kisner. Um, you know, but I do see it as a, as a fitting end. I mean, a challenging golf course, the best golfer of the year, George Spieth, you know, winning it, just kind of button this up. I mean, just, you know, coming back and taking it from Stinson, Stinson kind of coughing it up a little bit, but such a great fitting into the year. Spieth is obviously the player of the year and, and well-deserved and uh, such an amazing kid. Broke, broke Tiger's 2007 earnings record, um, what, $22 million or $23 million. Mm. I saw somebody break that down. That it's thirty. It was he earned thirty six hundred dollars per golf shot in tournament play this year. <laughs> thirty six hundred dollars a shot. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, it's freaking nuts. Hey, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't happen to a better dude, man. I, I'm I'm pumped about speed to doing it, and uh, look forward to uh, the next year already. So. Yeah, I um, we know. I mean, rap, you know, rap, again, I think it was like you said. It sort of buttoned up a good season, and uh, I know you and I didn't didn't play a whole lot of lineups for the tour championships because of 
really just we you know we don't like I, I don't particularly like playing in a short field like that. Yeah. It's a little bit harder to, to to cash just because you almost have to be dead perfect, you know, and, and it's it's just it's just harder. And, and we could we probably talk about that, you know, when we talk about strategy and everything yeah. else yeah. and how we construct lineups. But um, for me, just this past week, I, I threw in a lineup or two just just to do it, just to play. But uh, again, it is it is a lot harder. So. Um, but we're we're only two weeks away, and then we'll be back in the full swing of of, of a full field event. Yeah, absolutely. That's a uh, a nice segue there. Um, yeah. So the first event of the fifteen sixteen season is in two roughly two weeks. We've got the President's Cup coming up, um, and then we've got the the first tournament of the year, October fifteenth, I, I believe. So it, it will be here before we know it, and there will be, uh, you know, a number of events before the new year. There's a little hiatus there around Christmas, New Year's, and then we kind of get it back going with the uh, the West Coast Swing and Hawaii and all that stuff. So we'll be rocking and rolling come that time. So we want to talk a little, uh, you know, lineup construction, strategy. By the way, if you haven't listened to the GPP versus Cash strategy podcast, which we did just before this one, it's only about a 30-minute show, 40-minute show. Um, I, I think that's going to be key to listen to before listening to this one because we're going to reference different, you know, constructions for GPP and cash. Um, and if you don't really know what that is already, then you're already going to be confused. So I would advise you to go back and listen to the GPP versus cash strategy podcast to better understand what we're about to get into tonight um, so that, you know, you, you know what's up. So with that... What are some of the first things that you look at in an event, um, Pat? You know, when first of all, just deciding whether or not you're going to participate, like you just mentioned with a smaller field. You know, why is that? Explain that to us. Well, I think, you know, when you have a smaller field event, obviously you have, well, let's just take last week, for example. We had 30 players. Um, so when you have, especially for well, any type, even if it's cast versus a GPP type lineup, there's only, you know, there's only 30 players to choose from. So there's, it's, it's a lot harder to differentiate your team from the rest of the others. So it makes it, there, it puts more on you to create the perfect lineup. Correct. Whereas, whereas when you have a bigger field with, say, whatever the normal amount of folks, I want to say 150 or so for a normal, just a normal PGA event, um, it's a lot harder for for everyone to, you know, pick the exact right guys. I mean, they're they're going to pick, you know, for a tournament play, they're probably going to be even more precise because they're, you know, to win a tournament, they're going to have, you know, five or six guys that are all there in the top ten to, to twenty. But um, again, your your chances, your odds just are not as good when you're when you're playing in those short field events. It's kind of I compare it to. If you're if you're playing daily fantasy and and football, or you're you're playing daily fantasy and baseball on a short for baseball on a short night where you only have maybe four or five games for some reason, um, it's a lot harder to cash because you just have to have that perfect lineup um, just to even get get in the money. I don't I don't want to say perfect, but you have to have a really good lineup with with most of the players that are going off that night. The same thing if you. If you try to play NFL daily fantasy and you're looking at like the Monday Thursday games or the Sunday night Thursday games because they have those tournaments because everybody wants to play everybody loves that action but 
again, your odds are, tend to be a lot better, whether it's cash or TPP, if you just you, you play in those larger, um, you know, with more teams, more games in those events, because it, you, you don't have to you don't have to different you have to differentiate yourself, but it doesn't have to be, you know, perfect lineups like you have to see in right. those other short events. So I think the you know we talk about you know gaining your edge is the you know it's kind of the the uh, the tagline of the podcast and of tour junkies, and it's easier to get that edge when it's a deeper field and you can research the guys like a Fabian Gomez, you know. Because the average or um, or below average, you know, kind of rookie DSS player that's in a larger contest isn't going to take the time to do that or doesn't know how to do that or doesn't know where to get the resources to get that information. So you, you've got that advantage if you can, uh, you know, the more the, the deeper the field and the you know the more traditional tournaments where you've got 140, 150 players and there's a cut and you know uh, it's just easier to find that edge. So there's there's more room for that edge in that you know in that example. So it's absolutely right. Something to think about. For me, I just like staying away from tournaments like that because I'm just not lucky enough, you know, to 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 do well in them. Um, so I, I tend to just stick with the the traditional large field events with a cut. I don't typically do well in the non-cut events either for that same reason, kind of just because you know everybody's getting all six through the cut and it's just kind of a you know. Uh, pick the pick the the winner kind of guy, or or pick everybody in the top ten, and you're perfect. Um, that's typically not where I do my best work. So, um, so yeah, definitely would would prefer to play in the more traditional kind of games and contests, and when it's a traditional tournament. So, definitely, yeah, I, I think if you are going to, you know, we love, you know, we love playing daily. Daily, we we wouldn't be doing this if, if we didn't. So. If you want to play in those short field events or the short, you know, with lesser players or no cut or whatever, then, then that's fine. I mean, if you want the action to, to do that, I mean, I'm all for that because I, I, I'll do it too. But, you know, scale back on your the amount that you may right. be investing in something like that. If, if you're going to do it, you know, don't do what you would normally do in a norm, normal week. Scale back. Maybe do one lineup or something, one or two, or, or one tournament. Or one one double up. Don't do three or four double ups and, and three or four tournaments or whatever you might normally do. You know, just kind of scale it back because you just got to understand that your odds are, are not as not as good. And um, you know, we're here to we're here to provide good advice, and that's that's what we do. And we give you good research. And uh, it, it's harder for us to, to it's harder on our end to be more accurate when you're having a you know we have such a short short field. Yeah. So, uh, you know. so th- that being said, like it, let's think of a traditional week, um, you know, where you've got a full field and you've got a, a traditional cut after Friday. You know, tell us first before we get into actual lineup construction, but tell us first how you like to um, pick your contest for the week. So what type of contest on DraftKings do you like to play? You know, how many of them are cash contests? How many of them are, are GPP or um, – you know, uh, GPP-esque contest on DraftKings? How do you like to do it and manage that, that kind of bankroll? Well, for me, I think, um, 
in general, if you want to build your bankroll, you got to do that based on 50-50s and, and, and uh, double-ups, which we, would, we talked about before, but that's cash gains. Um, so I tend to... I tend to focus probably of if, if I'm going to say, you know, just say, and this number is not exactly accurate, but just just for sake of the conversation, say I'm I'm putting a hundred dollars a week into you know my lineup. Um, probably sixty to seventy percent of that is going to be in in your your cash games, your fifty fifties, and your double ups. But I love playing tournaments. I love the allure of you know maybe. Went, maybe somehow winning the tournament or coming close or having a chance. And so I do like to put 30 to 40% of, of what I, of my bankroll, uh, in the, in the tournaments. And, um, right. So that, that's kind of what I tend to do. But I think if you're, if you're going to, if you want to build a bankroll, you got to stick to those cash games, those 50 50s. Um, you go with our advice on a lot of these players. And I think you're, you're going to end up, you know, having a good chance to build that bankroll. Because tournaments are just so much harder to cash in, um, but that that's ten, that that kind of on on average week to week, that that tends to be what I do is is I'm I'm probably three to one I guess you could say double ups and fifty fifties versus your tournaments. But I play tournaments every week. I love I love playing them. I don't ever avoid them. Um, sometimes I've even, I'll even throw my cash lineups into a tournament. And, and some of my cash lineups have even been, ended up being my best tournament lineup. So, yeah. um, you know, but, but again, that, that tends to be the ratio that I go with almost okay. on a week, on a weekly basis. So let's, so let's start with the, with the, the tournament lineup or the GPP, you know, tournament style lineup. What we mean by that is pretty much, Around twenty to twenty-three percent of the of the total entries will cash. Um, so it's not a fifty percent, you know, fifty-fifty or double up or anything like that. Around twenty to twenty-three percent of the field of the entries is going to cash. So differentiating the lineup is important, um, and obviously it becomes more important the more players, uh, the more entries in that contest. So thinking strictly on the on the tournament play. So you've got a tournament that you want to get in. Let's say it's the, let's say we talk plenty about the Millie Makers um, every every major, but let, let's say it's the, the three dollar birdie challenge. Um, you know that, they, that DraftKings often does. You know how do you how do you go about deciding that lineup? Um, so for the three dollar birdie challenge, yeah, I do that three dollar birdie challenge almost every week. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I put in multiple lineups, um, which is another thing we could talk about with tournaments. If you can afford to do it, I, I would definitely advise you to put in as many lineups as you can to um, within your budget. So again, if you're putting a hundred dollars a week on on you know different lineups between you know three to one, like I said, cash lineups versus GPPs, you know maybe enter ten lineups. Of a hundred dollars, which would be thirty thirty dollars into that uh, into that birdie, just to increase your chances of, of cashing and not only getting your money back, but maybe you know the ultimate goal would be making money. But with those lineups, again, I usually like you know with cash games, I'm looking for cut makers. That's what I want. I want cut make. I want everybody in my lineup to make the cut because then I feel like 
I'm probably going to have a good chance of doubling up or finishing in the top half on that 50-50. With a GPP play, I'm usually going to try to look for – you want to have that guy that can win the tournament. So I'm going to look at three to four guys that I think are going to be cut makers and also have a chance to win. But then I'm, I'm usually looking at two, maybe three outliers, contrarian plays that maybe not everybody's looking at that I feel like can have a good week that week based off of whatever the course looks like and the stats look like for that week and everything else that I see. I'm going to look at the guys that I think everybody's off that week. Maybe that player's not playing well lately. Maybe, um, you know, it can be all a ton of different factors. But when you look at the research that we provide on our podcast, you know, there's a lot of players that, that are under the radar that if you look yeah. at their stats, whether it's, you know, they like bent grass greens or, yeah. um, you know, they're better on a tight course with tight fairways or they're better on a, you know, or, their bar. Or they have a great apex height, which is important. <laughs> well, you may look at the apex height. But, <laughs> but anyway, so, so there, there's this, like, you know, they're, based on the tournament that we, I mean, we could look at any tournament, any week, but there's always going to be a couple folks that I like, and well, really more than two. I'm, I'm going to have to just choose the ones that I like in my tournament lineups but, that I feel like are going to have a good week based off of, of how they play those type courses. And, you know, with the research that we look at and what we provide, I mean, not everybody out there that's playing DFS, especially in these tournaments, is, is looking at some of these players. Yeah, so my, my thoughts are a couple things. One, like, don't don't get it wrong. You still have to have all six players make the cut to cash yeah. in a tournament play. Either way, tournament or or a cash right. lineup. Right. So you know, in a cash lineup, that that's really like just about the only thing that has to happen for you to cash. I mean, if you get all six through, unless they all finish, you know, dead last uh, up until sixth to dead last, then you're going to cash um, if you get all six through. But but in a tournament play, that's just prerequisite number one. Like you you have to get you ha- that has to happen in a tournament play for you to cash. So um, you know unless the one guy that doesn't cash or, or that, that doesn't make the cut is literally the highest owned player in the whole field, like a Jordan Spieth or Jason Day doesn't cash or whatever. If that's the guy that doesn't make the cut for you, then you have a chance because a lot of the field had him too. But for the most part, you got to have all six three. So that still has to happen on a tournament play, uh, but I agree with you 100. percent the, the, Your field, your your lineup has to be filled with people who, when you look at every one of those guys, they've got to have a you know three or four of them have to have a, a decent chance of winning or top five. The the mm-hmm. other the other three or two two or three have to have a good chance of finishing you know top 25. Um, if that can happen for you, you know, then 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 that's where you get those cash plays. You know, I would say, and this is how I approach the tournament, I don't play, I don't put my money in, whether it's a birdie challenge at $3 or a $20 millionaire maker, I, I don't put the team in if I am not willing to go contrarian enough to win the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in being in being the last paid out spot. You know, I'm no. not setting my lineup to be the last. You know, if if 20,000 spots are being paid out of 100, 
I'm not interested in finishing 19,000 and making, you know, making $10 more than I put in. I'm interested in making the huge payout and finishing top, you know, one, top, you know, top one to 5% of the field. So in that sense, you, you've got to have some plays that are, you know, uh, that, that are kind of off, off the wall a little bit and, you know, calculated plays. You still want to do your research and, and listen to shows like ours and others. So they're calculated, but they're contrarian and they're not, you know, they're not well known or you're, you're punting, you know, it, the, the, the verbiage in the industry is to punt, um, or to fade. Uh, so if you're fading a big player, that can be a strategy. So if, if you know, 35% of the field is going to be on Brooks Kepka and, and you feel pretty confident that 35% of the people in the field are going to be on him, then not picking him and picking a player near him or around him would be, would be a strategy. Um, so, I definitely, you know, feel like that's that's key for those GPP uh, tournament plays for sure. So that's kind of the thought going into it. As far as the actual, you know, roster construction and picking the lineup, there's all kind of things that you could do. You know, um, I typically like to start at the bottom, um, which is kind of funny. I, I don't, I don't know that I've heard a whole lot of people do that, but I tend to start at the bottom. So I, I like to go and, and look at right off the bat. You know, on Monday when the prices come out, I like to put in a couple of lineups that just right off the right off my my gut I like. You know, I'm gonna go back and change them. I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna, you know, plug in my stat sheets and all the stuff I like to do. But right off the bat, I like to put in one or two lineups just to create a lineup, just to see it on 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 the screen. And I usually start at the bottom and just start scrolling from the bottom until I get to a guy that I'm comfortable with being my bottom guy. That's kind of how I like to do it. So. I, I get to that guy and then I keep working up and then, you know, then typically I have extra money left over. So then I start going to the top and I figure out, you know, I really like this guy this week. or I really like this guy this week. And I kind of fill in the gaps from there. Um, but that, that's typically how I'll do every lineup, whether it's cash or, or a tournament play, but definitely for a tournament play, you know, that's where I start. And, um, and then the research kicks in. So how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think using those lineup tools um, that DraftKings gives you is very important. You know, create, go in there and play. I mean, you got till Thursday to set your lineup, so go in there and you know create as many lineups as you can, and and um, you know just decide you know which ones you like the best. Um, you know, maybe your top few lineups from a, from a cash standpoint versus a GPP standpoint, and and roll with those. I mean. Um, you've done the research. You've you, you've listened to to uh, hopefully folks like us giving you decent advice. But in the end, it's you know I say this for football and and baseball and everything else. I mean, in the end, it comes down to you make a decision. But um, you know, get get as much information as you can, create as many lineups as you can, and then um, and go from there. And I think you'll you'll find that it, that's a, if you have the you know. The discipline every week to create, you know, as many lineups as you can. Use the research. You're gonna, you're gonna end up cashing in a lot of your lineups. And, you know, but, but as far as structure is concerned, there's so many different things you can do. I mean, even from, you know, for instance, we talk about studs and duds, you know, going with, you know, maybe three guys that you would consider studs. And, and then if you're looking at the bottom half of, of, 
you know, the salaries, you know, three, three does. That can work. I mean, that works in a lot of lineups. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because these days, just like with, with, with anything in, in sports, really, um, we see, we see it in, in every sport. There's a lot of parity these days. And it's the same way with, with the PGA Tour. Now we do have your dominant figures like, you know, Spieth and Day and, Rory and and Fowler, but but in the end, um, when it comes to your top fifty players or your top twenty five players, there's a lot of parity out there. So you're yeah. you, you you can find a guy that's in that say six thousand to seven thousand range that's going to end up making the cut and and playing well if you do your research and you see how they are on the course or their hit course history or whatever it is. Um, so again, it, there's this. There's so many different routes you can take, but um, it's yeah, and all about doing your research. Yeah, and we obviously can't cover all of them. I mean, we're really telling telling what we like to do. I'll tell you, like with a tournament play, my philosophy is if I feel great about it, it's not a good play. <laughs> because if if I look at the roster for a big tournament like the Millie Maker or the Birdie Challenge, if I look at the roster and I'm like, man, that is a killer roster. All six of those guys are making the cut, you know. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Then mm-hmm. that's that's a bad play because that means I probably got, you know, all six guys at too high ownership levels, and I, I probably have all six guys um, that none of them are really great contrarian plays. So I'm not going to have that guy who's three percent owned, you know, that's going to do well, that's going to vault me up to the to the top five percent of the of the entries. So. In a tournament play, I like to have a level of, you know, like a little bit of, a little bit of nausea in the stomach <laughs> goes a long way, uh, with a tournament play. Um, not, not again, it still has to be calculated, but, um, so it doesn't just have to be, you know, randomly picking the worst, most unrecognizable name at the bottom of the, of the, of the roster, but I, I do have to feel a little uncomfortable with it in a, in a tournament play to, to roll out with it. And, and we've talked about it on the sh- on the show before. You know, I tend to be a very cash heavy player, um, so especially for me, it doesn't feel great. It might feel more comfortable for you, but for me as a cash player, predominantly cash player, when I do the tournament plays, it definitely feels icky. You know, um, so that's that's something that, something to think about as well. Um, you know, just just knowing that you're again you're you're playing to finish in that top five percent. You're not playing to be the last guy to cash. You just it's not yeah. worth it. At, at that point, so um, exactly. And you know, for the tournament plays, I, I do tend to roll with that studs and duds. Um, if the, especially if it's a major or a big field, you know, a, a strong field event, I think at that point the studs and duds lineup is more um, beneficial, is more likely to cash, just because if you've got you know ten of the top fifteen, twenty players in the world. You know, not all ten of those guys are are going to fall outside of the top five. I mean, you know, there's a high likelihood that that you have to have one or two of those guys on your roster to 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 place and to cash. So to go with like a more balanced roster of those guys, kind of in the middle, you know, um, would probably not not work real well. It would work well maybe in a cash play, but not in a tournament play. So. Um, you know, for majors and things like that, I usually like to pick out two or three at the top that are expensive, you know, that, um, that I feel like have a solid chance of being in the top five and winning. And then I just, you know, look for the value and mine the value at the bottom. 
Um, if it's, you know, if it's a normal event where you might have, you know, your most expensive guy, uh, you know, it might be, um, you know, Justin Rose, Jim Furyk, Zach Johnson, and Brant Snedeker, and those are your top four. I mean, you know, that's not a field where you're like, eh, you know, there's a chance all four of those guys could totally screw it, you know. So you could go with more of a balanced approach in a tournament like that and get a, and, and cash and come away with it. But in a major or a tournament like the Players Championship or, you know, some of the WGC events with strong fields, you have to have at least, you know, two of those guys in the top, I think, to really come away and 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 cash in a tournament. So, yeah, no, I I agree. I think you know switching though real quick because I, I feel like you know it's more complicated, I guess, to talk about um, how you may structure a GPP lineup um, because it is harder to cash and and you want to be a little bit more contrarian and there's a lot more variables and you know as far as how you're gonna. Yeah, make well, some money as far as but but with the cash game. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I know where you're going here. I think we should tease it. Okay, we've 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 definitely you know gone in depth on the GPP thing, and we said we were going to do GPP and cash tonight. But I think the GPP you know in the tournament plays we fit nicely, um, and that coupled with our recap of the season and the FedEx Cup, let's tease the people and get more downloads out of them and, um, you know, talk about the cash game in the next one. You up for that? Hey, I, I'm fine with that because I got a lot of good knowledge that I'm going to drop on you, you folks for, for cash games. Yeah, that's, I think, my, uh, that's my specialty too. Yeah, I think that's your specialty. I, I probably play um, a, a higher percentage, uh, as we talked about earlier, with your percentages of what you play, but I probably play a higher percentage of GPPs than you do. Yeah. But um, I think we have. But you're still predominantly cash. I mean, yeah, because yeah. that's how you make your money in this. Yeah. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. We'll hit. We'll hit on the cash um, lineup construction and strategy on the next show. We'll even, uh, you know, maybe do a little, a little uh, Presidents Cup discussion and, um, you know, anything else we 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 feel like rambling on about. If anybody wants to listen, you you up for that? I'm up for that. This week that you can think of that you you've seen uh, over the any good tweets this week that you've seen anything uh, interesting out there? Um, no, you know, know the the best tweet that I've seen is the you know the the tweet I put out about Dustin Johnson hit me in the foot with the video. I mean, so I would just say people need to go you know to to the the, the Twitter handle you know at two tour junkies. And retweet the mess out of that, you know, tag him, hashtag that thing. I mean, get me something out of this, you know, like maybe he'll mail me something. So I get you a signed glove or something or, or I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, something, you know, some, some free drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> just but, um, yeah, so that, that's the tweet of the week. Y'all just need to go there and retweet all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. I hope you're okay. I mean, I hope you're. Uh, yeah, I think I will. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. It, it no, really like wasn't a cold that beer. Bad. You didn't even take a cold beer and just 
added on it for a second. Yeah, it wasn't. We weren't at the Masters, so the beers were more expensive than 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 I'm typically used to at a golf tournament. So no, any beer that was purchased was consumed. Um, yeah. It was not. It was not spent. Uh, you know, reducing the swelling of DJ's ball on my ankle. Yeah. Well, I'm mm-hmm. glad you had a good time. I'm sorry Thank for you, your man. ankle. Yeah. But, I'm um, good. I think I'll make it. I'm questionable for the next podcast, though. I'm questionable. Okay. Well, you just let me know, and if, if I need to bring in a, a you know, a stand-in. Yeah. Just let me know. I don't know, man. I'll uh, I'll, I'll be sure to do that. So, once again, um, good recap there, Pat. And let's uh, let's come back and, and hit the cash later on this week. What do you say? I am. Sounds good to me. All right. May your screens be green. What will you discover in Asheville, North Carolina? Your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails. Your creative streak as you stroll the River Arts District. In Asheville, the answers can surprise you. Don't miss Summer of Glass, now through September, featuring Chihuly at Biltmore and a community-wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours. Visit exploreasheville.com to plan your stay. Asheville. Discovery inside and out.